0: Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Hey, we're in the Church Who We Are series, and not coincidentally, I think, we're talking about a generous people. And you're thinking to yourself, well, oh my goodness, you're going to talk about giving. Did I come on the wrong Sunday? Um, you know, wh- what What have I done? Should I, you know, whatever, go now, whatever. We're, t- we're talking about a generous people. And over the four weeks so far, and there's a couple more to come, over the four weeks so far, we talked about God's people, a worshipping people, a spiritual people, a people of the spirit. And this week we're talking about a generous people. What does that mean for us? And uh, I want to talk a little bit about, it's not just about, Generosity is not about a transaction. It's not just about an amount, a transaction. It's about developing a spirit of generosity. That's the important thing. How do we develop a spirit of generosity? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how, as a spiritual people, um, that meant we have the spirit of God dwelling within us. And Paul says to the church. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. And that doesn't mean he goes in and out and he goes in and out and goes in and out like we're uncertain. It doesn't mean that. It means that the Spirit of God who dwells within you, keep on being filled in your life with the Spirit. Allow him to infiltrate areas of your life that he hasn't infiltrated before. Keep on being filled. Don't let the Spirit of God who lives in you shrink and diminish. Keep on being filled with the Spirit and So we want to talk today about one aspect of that, which is the spirit of generosity. How do we become a a generous church? And generosity is not just about money. We're going to talk a bit about that today, but it's not just about money. There are many realms of generosity, heaps of them. Generosity of energy. Generosity of time. If you're a family person, you know you can be generous in your time for people, for your family. You can knock off early and go home, but you might not have any energy for them, even though you've got time for them. You know that that's different. It's a generosity of grace. It's a generosity of forgiveness. It's a generosity of praise, a generosity of trust. Generosity is not just about money. It's about... It's why we, It's about a spirit of generosity and many, many more things. But today we are going to talk about a generosity of giving. And I want to read to you a passage in a moment from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, the second letter. But before I do that, I want to tell you the story of two churches. There are two churches that began, both of them, supernaturally. There's a church in Jerusalem or Judea, which is the wider area, that began supernaturally. It began at the time of Pentecost when the Spirit of God came down and and kind of birthed the church and people who were visiting that city heard the gospel in their own language and a church was born and scriptures say thousands of people joined that church over the next little while. It, It started supernaturally but at the time Paul wrote that church had fallen into hard times. Difficult times, there were famine, there was difficulty in the Jerusalem and Judean church and became very needy. The other church that started supernaturally was the Macedonian church or the church of that area of Macedonia where, when want to say supernaturally, Paul was on his way to preach around Asia and the Spirit of God stopped him from preaching in some places and then stopped him from preaching in other places, and led him to a port town called Troas. And while he was there, the Spirit of God gave him a vision of a man saying, come over to Europe. First time, come over to Europe. Come over to Macedonia. There are people here who need you. So there's another church that started supernaturally. And that church wasn't very well off. Because you see, if you're a if you're someone who's come to faith in that kind of Greek Macedonian culture in those days, you were ostracised, you were persecuted. If you were a tradesperson, you were kicked out of the trades guilds guilds because of the rampant immorality and rampant um, idolatry in those guilds. You were kicked out. And so you were probably could quite easily be unemployed and maybe unemployable if you're a Christian in the church at Macedonia. So they're the two churches, and what had happened was this Macedonian church, that's the churches around um, Philippi and Thessalonica and Amphonia and Berea, those sort of churches, you read about them in Acts. They're They're the churches who dug deep in their poverty to help the mother church back in Jerusalem. And so Paul is now writing to a third church, the church at Corinth, where he's preached before for three months gone away and then heard, a very gifted church, a very able church, a very eloquent church, but who dropped the ball when it came to generosity. They dropped the ball. And he actually invites them to think about what the Macedonian church has done for the Judean church in thinking about their own level of giving and their own spirituality and their own um, obligations. So I want to read to you what Paul says to the Corinthian church, part of it's from chapter 8, part of it's from chapter 9. You'll see it up on the screen. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know what the gra- about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability... Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we asked Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have rekindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And he takes up the argument again in the next chapter, chapter 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it's written, they freely scatter their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth to encourage them with the work that Macedonians are doing for the church in Judea. So it's a little complicated, but he's saying you're great in lots of other things, but get your act together when it comes to generosity. That's what he's actually saying to the church at Corinth, very gifted church. And I want to say to us, when it comes to our own aspect of generosity or giving or whatever that might be for us, I want to say to you this, because I want to give some thoughts and principles around that today. I want to say this, that the first tussle you will ever have as a follower of Jesus is to settle the issue of ownership. You've got to settle the issue of ownership in two areas. First one is this, who owns what? You've got to understand who owns what. The psalmist says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. That's pretty comprehensive. The earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So all the things and all the people, those of us who claim to be God's people, he owns everything. He owns you, he owns your house, your car, your job, whatever it might be. He owns it all. You've got to settle that to start with. If you don't settle that, you'll struggle for the rest of your life, just the way it is. And the second question as part of that tussle is who gives the capacity to earn and to own? Who gives that capacity? Who owns everything, but who gives the capacity to even earn it and amass it? Deuteronomy says this, He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you, so that at the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, Oh, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. If you're ever tempted to think it's my cleverness, it's my human capacity, it's my ability to amass wealth or or get or do my job or get a great job, whatever. If you ever thought about, you know, that's oh, how good have I done, then just remember it's God who gives you that capacity. God doesn't mind us having things. The question is, do I own them or do they own me? But God has given us that capacity. Even to earn to buy what we have. And unless we settle that first, we will always struggle with this area of giving. It'll just be a problem for us. It's all God's. That's the important part. That first tussle is the hardest. And, and then when it is, we have to, before we get to some, I guess, components I want to share with you of this generosity, we have to overcome some of the myths. There are some myths of giving. I just want to share three of them with you and there's lots more but first one's this. Giving has no relationship to your spiritual life. That is a myth that it's just about a transaction, it's just about you know, set and forget. That's what it is, that's what giving is all about. Jesus said in Matthew, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the kicker. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I wish it said it the other way around. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Oh yes, my heart's fine with God, we're growing and and that's where my treasure is. It doesn't say that. He says, where your treasure is, I can actually discern where your heart is, but where your treasure is, that is a scary thought. Where your treasure is, there is your heart in. See, it's, it is okay to own stuff. It's okay to have treasure. The question is whether it owns you or you own it. And if God asked for it, is that okay? That's the question we have to ask. That's one of the myths of giving. The second one is the, that giving is the responsibility of those who can afford it. Like some people can afford to give, some people can't afford to give. You only need to read the story of the widow's mite in the Gospels, of the woman who stands at the temple door and just has a mite, which is a very, very, very small amount of money, just drops in what she has. Paul says of the Corinthian church in another place now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. See, there's something about, there's a sort of proportionate thing here. Um, set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Whatever that is. Now, we traditionally have talked about 10%, sometimes because of a tithe in the Old Testament, which wasn't the grace of giving, by the way. It was the obligation of giving. It was the law of giving. It didn't have to be any grace to give there. That was the obligation. But whatever you give according to your income, for some people who start off, you know, you start off in this Christian walk, sometimes because you're committed to the hilt, it could be 3%, it could be 1%. And if that's what it has to be, start there, but build on. For some people who've got the 10%, it could be 15%, 20%, but we think we're good because we give 10. It's, it's given in proportion to your income, what God has told you in your heart to give, not by obligation, not by compulsion, not by law, not by regulation, but by spirit. You give what is yours to give. Start where you are and build up and change the percentage and change whatever it might be. and Let let it grow in your life. We'll see that. Third myth of giving, I I don't know how many times I've heard this in conferences and places I've heard at church services and telepreachers. I don't know how many times I've heard this statement. You give to God. Giving to God will mean God will give you back more to spend on yourself. You just give and he'll give you back more spend on yourself it's a wrong interpretation of a scripture that we say this scripture do not judge and you will not be judged do not condemn and you will not be condemned forgive and you will be forgiven and this is the bit we take out of context given it will be given to you good measure pressed down shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured to you and somehow for some reason we've just annexed that to mean money it's got nothing to do with money It's got to do with forgiveness. It's got to do with judgmentalism. Nothing to do with money, but somehow we we use that scripture to go, well, if I give, God will give me back. Now, God will give you back, but it may not be money. He'll give you back security. He'll give you back hope. He'll give you back joy. But don't use that to sort of say, well, the more I give to God, and I've heard this so many, many times, the more you give to God, God will give back to you for your own purposes. That's not what it means. They're just myths of giving. I'd like a dollar for every time I've heard that. There is an equation, an equation in this passage of Scripture that I want to look to to look at some of the components. And the equation is this, and you'll see it up on the screen, the equation is this for the Macedonian church. Severe severe affliction plus extreme poverty plus grace equals overwhelming joy and rich generosity. It's a weird equation. It's a strange equation. It's not a transactional equation. It's a transformational equation. Giving is not a transaction, first and foremost. It's first and foremost transformation. That's what it's about. It's not, when you realize that, it's not what I, it's not that I have to give, it's that I get to give. Huge difference in mindset. It's not I have to give, I actually get to give. That's the story of the Macedonian churches that Paul is using as an illustration to the Corinthian church. So I want to talk to you about what are the components of a generous people just quickly from, from the passage I read out before. There are a number of components. First one is a sacrificial component. A spirit of generosity has a sacrificial component to it. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know that the grace God has given the Macedonian church in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. I mean, there were people shake, shaking the door down, saying, Let us give, let us give, let us give. We got nothing but let us give. See, there's a sacrificial... They gave what they were able and beyond what they were able. There's something sacrificial about that. There's something sacrificial about generosity. There's something sacrificial that gives. It's a, it's a kind of a, a component that's really important. sometimes lost. We'll give God the leftovers or whatever it might be, but there's something sacrificial in this process. Somebody once said this, a religion that does nothing, gives nothing, costs nothing, suffers nothing, is worth nothing. There's a a life component. There's a component of our life. Generosity is not just what we do. It's who we are. We read before and they exceeded our expectations. They give themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So they're Their generosity, their giving was not a substitute for life. Their giving was not a substitute for if I just give it will sort of excuse me from getting involved. No, 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 no. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and to us and then they gave. It's not either or, it's both end. The spirit of generosity as I said before is not a transaction. It's not just set and forget. It's actually we give first to God and to one another and then we give. That's part of that as well. There's an, there's an excellence component in this um, giving. Paul said, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and the love you've, we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. You see, this is a very gifted church. Corinthians is a very gifted church. They were very articulate, excelled in speech. They're very smart and knowledgeable. You've excelled in knowledge. You've excelled in earnestness. You're very earnest and serious about your faith, what you do. You're even excelled in love. It's been rekindled. So bring the picture together. And make sure you excel in the grace of giving. You've excelled in a lot of things, Corinth. Great job. But make sure you excel in the grace of giving because there is an excellence component in that as well. There's a flow, what I'd call it, couldn't think of any other names for this, and is a flow component. Paul says to the Corinthian church, I read it earlier. Remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. It's the principle of sowing and reaping, and it's not about if I give money, I'll get money back. It's about a, a spirit of life. As my, as my life works itself out, if I'm sowing into other people, if I'm sowing in life, if I'm sowing in investing in people, if I'm sowing in giving, if I'm just if I'm in a sowing if I'm a sowing person and flow in that flow then there'll be a reaping in my life there'll be a growing in my life there'll be a health in my life there'll be a faith in my life that's the process there it's not just again you know you say big dollars you get big dollars it's not about that it's about a process it's about a flow if my life flows in the realm of generosity then look out because God knows that. And I'm open and open and open to God's generosity in my life, which very often we don't see because we're not, if you like, in that flow. And I'm not talking about the vibe as in the castle. I'm just talking about a flow of life, a flow of life. It's a generous flow. There's a joy component to giving. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful is understated. The word cheerful in the Greek language is the word hilarion. It's the word we get hilarious from. God loves a hilarious giver. I've often thought, you know, and and, uh, be settled, I'm not going to do it this morning but I've often thought wouldn't it be good to say it's offering time let's all just have a break belly laugh (laughs) or let's do a conga line around the church and should sort of you know we get to give because that's what it's talking about God loves a hilarious giver not just a I don't know what you'd call it not just a sort of an action or a transaction God loves a hilarious giver don't give under compulsion or because you have to not reluctantly, but what you've decided in your heart to give because God loves it when you give hilariously. It, it would be just a different... I'm not going to do it today. I, <laughs> I probably won't do it next week, but, I, but, you know, just because we're not used to it. But that's kind of the... You just feel like a conga line around the church. That, hey, we're, giving, we're giving now, you know. It's just important. I've been in services where people at a certain point in the service... They bring up chickens, they bring up eggs, they bring up fruit, they bring up vegetables. They just joyfully dance to the front of a church and drop it in a bucket. And you realise, hmm, God loves this. He loves a cheerful, hilarious giver. Relax. We won't do it right now, okay? There's a worship component to giving. Paul said to the church at Corinth on the first day of every week each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income so as they came to worship together there was that setting aside they didn't have electronic giving I get that that's a a great blessing for the church but sometimes that's set and forget right we're not really thinking about what's happening now we've dealt with that but there's a worship component, it's part of meeting together on the first day of the week there was a setting aside, there was a giving, there was a, a relinquishing there was a generosity, there was a hilarity on that first day of the week, on that resurrection Sunday it was a natural part of the gathering of believers. You see it's it's about developing a spirit of generosity. It's about developing who we are and who God has called us to be. And can I be a little practical and frank for a moment? Because it's easy to just look at, you know, biblical passages and let them stay just theological for us. And Tim alluded to it early, earlier on there. Churches have needs. It's practical. It's frank, it's very frank. Local churches have needs. There are kids ministries to get involved in, there are youth ministries to resource, there are groups, there's Alpha, there's a whole bunch of things and lots of things that you could do more of. So it's not just like it's just a biblical process, it's actually there are needs. Yeah, I'll be very frank with you, I, I work here as interim lead pastor two days a week and I get paid. And the reason I get paid is I need to get paid. There, you know, that's the way it is. And then, you know, working towards ministry in the future, we might need to step up for that. Maybe more than two days a week. And uh, so I'm just, I'm just trying to bring the practicalities of that down to the whole reality of this generous spirit that we need. Excel in the grace of giving. That's what Paul says to the church. Excel. Don't be mediocre. Don't be just, you know, what's required of you, whatever that is, whatever you think that is. Excel in the grace of giving. Maybe start if you haven't. Maybe start where you just need to start and then start the excellence pro- process of making a difference throughout the years. Excel in the grace of giving. I wanted to leave communion till the end today. We're going to take communion now. Because in this whole process, um, there's a Jesus component to giving. Paul finishes one of those paragraphs by saying this I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. See, that's the gospel. And Paul used it at the end of the story as an illustration of what a spirit of generosity and what giving is all about using the illustration of the Macedonian church and the Judean church, he said that Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You know, if when you came in this morning you may have been given a little um, thing like that, which has got a little wafer in it, and some grape juice. If you haven't, put your hand up and somebody will bring it to you if you missed out this morning. Just keep your hand up till someone gets there. Just make sure you've got one of those. Because it's a representation of of that last little story in Paul's admonition for the people to have a spirit of generosity. It's the illustration of that. That though he was rich, he had the riches of heaven He was the Son of God and God the Son, together, both, in that. And he had all that riches, but for your sake, he became poor. He took on humanity. He took on, you know, the brokenness of humanity, became part of it. He took that on. So that you, through the poverty that he took on, could become rich with the promise of eternity. That is an extraordinary example of a generous spirit. That's the spirit of Jesus as the ultimate example of giving and life and life giving. So I want to invite you to peel off the top little bit and take the, the wafer because that resembles his body broken for us. And we'll in a moment just pull the second bit off and take the the cup but maybe just hold them and I want to pray Father we thank you so much for the example of Jesus who was so rich because he is you he's God and all the benefits of heaven but Father for our sake he became poor living amongst us in order that we through his poverty for the brokenness of a peasant death might become rich and be assured of the benefits of heaven father we thank you for that we thank you for that generosity that you gave us through your son and that we live in now in jesus name amen